Well, God has a plan for your life. Amen? He, he cares about every detail of your life. He cares about your house. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your money. He cares about uh, your arguments. He cares about uh, the discussions that you're have, having. He cares about how you walk and how you talk and how you think. He cares about your church and he cares about your car. God's plan is always, always perfect. I think I could end the message right here. I think many of you would maybe give a fist pump up in the air if I ended it right here. Because that's the whole story. God's plan is always perfect. We're starting in a, in a series titled Joseph. And seeing the good and God's detours. And we're going to learn, as I have been learning uh, tremendously, that the God, man, he has a perfect plan. So we're going to go back in history before this story began, and we're going we're to start with Joseph's great-grandfather, Abram. And Abram, in Genesis 15, 5, God spoke to, to Abram, later called Abraham. He spoke to him directly, and he said, Look toward the heaven, number of the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it unto him as righteousness. So God's saying to him, your, your offspring are going to be more than all of these stars. More than you can even count. And that was a huge, huge statement by, by God to make that statement. You see, Abram performed several animal sacrifices and he, and he fell into a deep sleep. And a prophecy was given to him, one that, that probably wasn't expected. This is interesting to see how God was foretelling uh, what the future held for his offspring. Genesis 15, 12 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation and that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Wow. He's telling Abram the whole story of, of how, how he's going to move them into Egypt and, and how they're going to be there for 400 years, and, and then he's going to bring them all out. And how there's going to be tons of suffering, but they're going to come out with great possessions. And he says at the end of, of that little section, he says, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I mean, God literally, he knew it was going to take 400 years for the Amorites to accumulate so much sin that, that Joshua would have no problem annihilating the entire nation. It's just amazing to see what God was doing here. 
at the ripe old age of 99. Abraham and his wife, who was a 90-year-old young lady, Sarah, they had a baby boy. Finally, she had a child, and his name was Isaac. His name was Isaac. And Isaac was the future. Isaac was the plan. But then God asked Abram, Abraham to do something. He asked him to sacrifice his only son. And he took him up on, on that mountain. They built an altar together. And then he laid his son on there. And, and he raised the, the knife to kill his only son. And we all know what happened. He was spared. And a ram was provided. But God counted it again as righteousness. He says, I'm going to multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand and the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in, this is crucial, this is Genesis 22, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed again we could just quit this quit quit our sermon right there that's tremendous to know that today i am blessed because of that scenario because of the faithfulness of abraham so stick with me we are pointing towards our story we're guiding our way there isaac eventually grows up and abraham and his servant find isaac a wife named rebecca isaac and rebecca they have twin children they have twin children, but, but Rebecca's having some issues. She's having some pregnancy issues, and, and the children, it almost seems like they're, they're, there is a fight within her. And she goes to the Lord, and she says, Lord, help me in this situation. What can I do? And here's what God responds to her. He says, two nations are in your womb, and the two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older, this is crucial, the older shall serve the younger. Genesis 25, 23. So, we start with our outline today. Let's look at the life of Jacob. Genesis 25, 24 through, 20, 24 through 28 says, When her days to give birth, again, this is Rebecca getting ready, Isaac's wife going to have twins. And her days to give birth were co completed. Behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Continued on, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was, quiet, was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Listen to this. Isaac, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah Rebecca loved Jacob. So the first two things that we see is that first that Jacob was a favorite son, and then we're going to see... Oh, Jacob was smiling over here. <laughs> Jacob is, was the favorite son. And second, that Jacob was a fraudulent sibling. Keep listening up, Jacob, then. So it's important to realize, first of all, about Isaac, that he was just relaxed. 
he wasn't fully engaged, at least what we see in the scriptures. We see that when Jacob, that Jacob was the mama's boy. He was the one she took into the kitchen, taught how to cook. She's the one who she manipulated all the things to make sure it all worked out for him. That was, that was her role. And I believe it came natural to Rebecca. Because if you look at Rebecca's daddy, uh, Bethuel, he wasn't, he wasn't even involved in her marriage. He stepped away and let the wife handle everything. So I think it came natural to her to follow her own mom's example. Early on, we also see Jacob tricked Esau. Many of you guys know the story. Esau was tired after hunting. Whether he needed to or not, he was out there. And Jacob was making a beautiful stew. And it smelled good. And so because of, of, of the laissez-faire attitude that Esau was having, Jacob said, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you your birthright for some soup. For some of my nice stew. Esau didn't care. Yeah, I'll take that. You know, one day, this is a freebie, not in my notes. One day, I got home from college, and my brother made some macaroni and cheese. Now, I love macaroni and cheese. I'm, I'm kind of a connoisseur of it. And, and, and after I finished my bowl of macaroni and cheese, my brother was sitting in the living room eating his macaroni and cheese. And I looked at him, I said, what in the world are you eating? And he looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, I've never seen that. What is that? He said, it's macaroni and cheese. I said, is it any good? He said, you've never had macaroni? No. So he gave me his whole bowl. So then I thanked him for the second bowl that I ate that day. You see, we, we trick our brothers. Well, this case, this was much bigger than macaroni and cheese because not only was this a double portion of the inheritance, which was a sizable inheritance, it was also the actual blessing of God that was moving down from generation to generation. It's also interesting to see that favoritism shown in Genesis 27 when Rebecca tricks, has Jacob trick his own father. If you remember, uh, Isaac wasn't well, and, and he wanted to give a blessing to Esau, and he said, go get, go get some food. Go get me, make me some food, and I want to give you a blessing. Esau was a hairy man. And, and so, so Rebecca said, here's what we're going to do. You put on Esau's clothes, Let's put this goat skin on your neck and on your hands so you'll be nice and hairy. And, and, and you come in, and I'm going to cook the best meal for my husband, for your dad. She knew right how to trick him. And guess what? Isaac handed off the blessing to Jacob, the secondborn. Amazing. But this trickery that mom had, something happened. Because then she feared for her own little son's, her favorite son's life, and she had to send him off. She had to get her husband to send him off so he'd be protected. And you know what? That was the last time Rebecca ever saw Jacob. She never got to see him again because of that manipulation. 
Relationships are hurting within this family. Brother isn't speaking to brother. Mother not speaking to one of her sons. Father not speaking to the other. Mom and dad aren't communicating unless they're trying to manipulate a situation. Are you struggling with the same thing? Do you have similar situations within your family, within the lives, within the communication? I know a guy. I know a guy who realized that there was a family member that basically disowned him. Basically disowned him for two, three years. And he never went to try to resolve the situation. He was too prideful. Finally, one day, the Lord broke him. The Lord broke him. And that's, that's when I, that's when I decided to go to the family member. Out of, out of the grace of God and humble myself and weep and apologize that I should have gone way earlier. He, he allowed me, I'm that guy in that story. He allowed me to be, the, be part of that restoration process. But if we don't beg God to help us, if we don't let God in that relationship, we can never deal with it. When we're trying to do it ourselves, when we're trying to manipulate life happening, man, just open your hands and let God deal with it. Moving on, Jacob's now traveling, and, and he's into the land, and he falls asleep, and, and, he, and he has this dream, just like his future son, Joseph. And, and Jacob dreams, and, and angels are going up and down the ladder. You guys remember it. And, and, and within it, he says that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless all of your offspring and all the earth from your offspring. Jacob had to be rejoicing in that, and, and, and he had actually some negotiation things that he talked with God. That's in Genesis 28. But the blessings of God are being communicated each generation, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. Next up in Jacob's life is the foolish son-in-law. The foolish son-in-law. Jacob falls head over heels with Rachel. He sees this beautiful young lady and, and, and he wants to marry her. And, and, and Laban, uh, who's the father of Rachel, says, yes, yep, you can marry her. But before you marry her, you have to work for me for seven years. Seven years. Jacob says, totally, she's beautiful, and I want to marry her. Seven years. Well, you guys know the story. He comes ready for the marriage, all excited. Seven years is up. He's going to marry her. And the old Laban pulls a switcheroo. And instead of marrying Rachel, his beloved, he puts Leah into the marriage. So he marries the older sister because he, sa he says, hey, you know what? You got to marry the older one first. If you want to marry Rachel, seven more years of work for me. 14 years, he agrees. 14 years goes by and finally he gets his bride. He wants to get away from Laban as quickly, quickly as he can, which I would as well. 
And, and finally, they, they start their life on their own with him and his two wives in this case. And, and they, they've grown uh, very wealthy during this time because him and Laban are actually competing in, in trying to gain their wealth. So this entire time, he hasn't seen his, his immediate family, his mom, his dad, or his brother Esau. That's an interesting thing to point out. Scripture now shows that Jacob, that he was a faithful, or maybe, maybe fighting is a better term, servant. So Jacob heads away from his father-in-law, and, and, and now he wants to reconnect with his brother. He, want, he wants to reconnect with him, and, and he's scared. He's willing to do anything he can. He sends, sends forward tons of gifts to try to uh, soften the issue. He's very wealthy, but he fears for his own life. Because remember, he stole the birthright. He stole the inheritance from his brother. This is where we see that Jacob actually wrestles with God. Remember, Jacob was all upset and, and all nervous, and sometimes that's what I do. If I'm, if I'm worried about something, I start just begging God, please teach me, please help me, please guide me, please intercede in this. And Jacob's in, a, in an actual wrestling match, and they wrestle all night. And finally, God realizes he's not going to let go of this wrestling match, and, and he breaks his hip. Just <laughs> breaks his hip like a twig. And he blesses Jacob. And he blesses his meeting with Esau. And we could go into this reunion. We could, we could dig into the wrestling match. We could, we could examine Jacob's constant request for blessings and his constant request uh, to if-then statements to God. But we will save those for another time. Final note I want to make about Jacob is that he becomes the father of 12 sons. The father of 12 sons, which is extremely important. There are two wives, and then there are two servants of the wives that had children with Jacob. We can go in great debate about Jacob having multiple wives and sleeping with other women, but like the other thing, we'll leave that for another day. 12 children, actually 12 boys, the first four children, Reuben, uh, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, they're born of Leah. So at this point, his beloved, Rachel, isn't able to have children. She's just having some difficulties in, in having children. Because Rachel's having those difficulties, she gives her servant to Jacob to have children in her place. So the children, number five and six, are with Bilhah, and their names are Dan and Naphtali, Naphtali. Then Leah decides to give her servant. Maybe she was trying to outdo. Hey, you could have my servant too. And that's Zilpah. And, and she gives birth to two children, Gad and Asher. Then Leah, who watched four children be born to her husband, wanted to build four more children. So she gave birth to two more, which would be, numbers, which would be six boys in all. Jacob's ninth boy, which was Leah's fifth, was named uh, 
Ishakar, and then her tenth boy was named Zebulun. Zebulun. I don't know how to pronounce that one. Then something miraculous happens. Th this is where something changes tremendously for Jacob. He's getting older. Rachel's older. Rachel hasn't been able to have any children, which is not a good thing in their, in, in their uh, culture. But God opens her womb. God opens her womb to boy number 11. And what's his name? Joseph. Joseph. But somehow she gets pregnant again. Rachel gets pregnant again. And, and in this time, all those difficulties, she now at the birth dies while she's giving birth to son number 12, Benjamin. It's important to understand that because we know what Joseph has gone through already in his life. We understand the picture of Joseph now growing up without a mom. Now growing up as the favorite, as we'll see here in a second. That gets us up to our current scripture, Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11, which we read earlier, and I appreciate that. So we get to see the introduction of Jacob's 11th son, Joseph. So we see that Joseph first was the favorite son, just like Jacob. Genesis 37, 3 through 4 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You know, I believe that Jacob was finally just excited. I finally have a child from my beloved, from the one I love the most. And I finally get a child from her. He got carried away. You know, you always read in books, don't show favoritism towards your kids. Uh, that's what I've read. I've heard many times. I thought about, just imagine on... on a morning, Christmas morning, and, and the kids come running downstairs, and, and as they're running down, and I was thinking of my children, and, and there under, under the tree were only gifts for Allison. Everybody else was left out, and we just all sat around and, and took pictures, Sherry and I did, and, and, of Allison opening her, her gifts, and that's probably not a good situation. I think the coat, this, this coat of many colors, this cloak, this uh, uh, trench, long length coat that Joseph made, or excuse me, Jacob made for Joseph, it, it was just like that. It, it was showing that he was the heir, that he was the, the golden child that he was the one that we wanted to look at. And the coat was made of fine linen, and, and you just think about the time that Dad put in to preparing that. And everyone, just not the brothers, knew that. I, I, I thought of Jacob. I bet Jacob was down at the barber shop. And every time the conversation, any, any light of day that came around, 
Jacob would say, oh, you should see my boy Joseph. Well, what a job he's doing. Maybe he's down at the cafe enjoying a cup of coffee. And he says, oh, my boy Joseph, his FFA prizes are off the charts. What he's doing uh, as a shepherd is, is crazy. His leadership, he knows parliamentary procedure like no one else. Man, Joseph is great. We do that sometimes. Moms, dads, grandparents. You whip out the thing when it has every picture in the world of your kid. Now we pull the phones out and, oh, you got to see this. Or we post it on Facebook. We, we do those things. We, we brag about our children. And, and there's, a, there's a sense of wonderful joy in that. But it could be a slippery slope. It could be a slippery slope. So how about your children? Are you doing that? Are you showing favoritism? You know, sometimes if one child is so obedient and another child is so troublesome, we lean towards the one that's obedient. Oh, that's, that's our good child. When they both have equal value. You know, I was thinking. So I, I've got a pretty nice $20 bill here. Does anyone want this $20 bill? I knew Dylan would read it. Yeah, okay. So this $20 bill is great. So only like four people wanted the $20 bill. No one else wants it? Okay. <laughs> I'll give you a 10 for it. Nice. <laughs> How about now? You, you still want it? You want it, Denny? Yeah? Yeah, Dylan? Okay. If I, if I took it down here and I stomped on it, still you want it? Why? Because the value hasn't changed. The value hasn't changed just because it's crumpled, just because it, it's, it's now wrinkled. I could still flatten it out and, and use it however I desire. That's the same with people. Not just your kids, but with people. We value people in certain ways. We value one person more than the other. That's not how God wants us to be. God wants us to look at each human life and understand the eternal value of them. We also see that Joseph is the FOIA sibling. I needed an F. For those of you who don't know, FOIA means Freedom of Information Act. It's a law that gives you the right to access information uh, of the government public knowledge. As a school board member, everything that we do is, is under, it could be FOIA'd. Someone could give a FOIA request and get all the information of what we were talking about or what we said or what we put in writing. Well, that's what, that's what jo Joseph was doing. Look in Genesis 37 too. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. And at the end it says, And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. Bad report of them to their father. And we're going to see next week in verse 13 that Joseph is the one who's providing daddy with all the information. 
He's sending them out, get all the information, tell us all about it, what's going on. Some commentators, it's been interesting to read. I spent a couple weeks preparing for this sermon series. Some commentators have said that Joseph was tattling, that he was just going back and saying, hey, this is what he's doing. You have a tattler in your family. You know what I'm talking about. Some say that he was telling a falsehood, that he was even making up stuff. Others suggest that he was just following his dad's orders and providing the truth, no matter if it was good, bad, or ugly. He was just going to, and we see that actually in his life later on, that he just tells people the truth. I tend to like that last one. But bottom line, as we'll see in the next section of the outline, this embitters his brothers. This gets them going because he's telling on them. So Joseph is not only a dreamer, but he's also someone who provides the interpretations of dreams. Joseph is a dreamer. I think that's the next one. Wasn't marked in my future seeing dreamer. Starting with verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and we told it to his brothers. They hated him even more, and he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? And then he has a similar dream where everyone is bowing to him, even mom and dad. Mind you, his, his mom is dead at this time, so in place of that would be Leah or, or some one of the other uh, moms that was stepping in. But I can't imagine this scene. I was thinking about this last night. What if Reggie came and, and said, Dad, 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 i got to talk to everybody. I need a family meeting. What? What do you mean in a family meeting? Yes, I want to talk to everybody. We all go downstairs and we all sit around the dining room table. And Reggie goes on and explains he had, a, he had this dream. And all of you guys are going to bow down to me. And you're going to listen to me. Reggie might tell us those things. <laughs> but you know what? I think we would just think he's crazy. We'd laugh it off initially. I think we, we would chuckle and, and say, oh, you're a jokester, whatever. But then he does it again the next day. I don't know how many days it was in between, but he does it again. And he, and he says, oh, this time mom and dad are also going to bow before me. They're going to serve me. Reggie, you're losing your mind. At this point, his siblings are telling him, you're an idiot. I bet for Joseph, this wasn't the only time these things happened. Maybe dreams, but I bet there were more things leading up to this. They were already annoyed. There was already situations going on. So let's look at the ten oldest brothers. We see that the brothers first had a fighting spirit. They had a fighting spirit. We have to backpedal three chapters into Genesis 34. We hear a story of what we believe is Jacob's only daughter. That's what we believe, Dinah. 
Diana's about 13 to 16 years old, and, and she's interested in what's happening in the neighborhood. She hears a party going on or, or something going on, and, and she sneaks over, and, and she's watching it. And, and she, wow, that's cool. What are you guys doing? What's the dance going on? And, and she's looking at it. And then there's a guy, his name's Shechem, and he grabs her, and he takes her in, and he, and he rapes her. Some say it was more of a manip manipulation, kind of a, a mutual. This was a no-go, bottom line. She was defiled, Scripture says. Well, the weird thing is, is that Shechem appears to fall in love with her. We don't know if that's just to get, his, get out of the situation and try to resolve it, but that's the way it appears. And Shechem's dad, Hamar, he hears of the situation, and he tries to resolve it. And I think about that for moms and dads right now, where situations happen where your kids get in trouble, and you try to resolve it for them. I know Sherry and I have talked more than once that we have, we have tried to remind each other, stay out of it, let them resolve it on their own even though we know their resolution is not going to be wise. If it's not dangerous, let them fail. Let them grow in the situation. Let them learn from what happened bad or good. See how they respond to it. Coach them when it's, when it's an opportune time. Here's a situation where Hamar, he's, he's definitely putting himself involved. This is a serious situation. So meanwhile, Jacob hears of the situation, and he just keeps it all to himself. See, his, his boys are out in the field. They're, they're, they're working with the flock. So they're, they're some, some miles away. We, we don't know how far away. And he decides to do absolutely nothing. So once they get back, they hear of the situation, what happened to their sister, and they are ticked. They, they are angry, and they want to deal with it big time. We jump back to Hamar, and, and he knows that they're mad. So he tells, tells them that Shechem wants to marry their sister, and, and he offers anything. He goes, we'll do anything. We'll give you anything for this marriage. Well, well let's mutually work together in this land. They had been living in this land together for six, seven years probably. And so the boys, the boys start getting an idea. And they said, okay, here's the deal. She can't marry someone who's uncircumcised. I won't go into circumcision. You can explain that later if someone doesn't know it. He says, so in order to, be, to marry her, not only you, Shechem, and not only you, Hamar, but your entire city, all the males must be circumcised. They think about it, and they're like, yeah, we'll do that. So they get circumcised. Sure, it was a high-end surgery with, with perfect tools to use, and, and they're sore. I, I read somewhere it's, it's a... It could be a three-month recovery 
of circumcision. But by the third day is usually when the fever is at, at its highest after, after this situation. And that's when the boys take, take charge. I believe it was Levi and Simeon, they go in while they are sore in the third day, while Shechem and, and, and uh, Hamar are sore, and they kill them. And they take their sister. So the sister was already with them. Because they can't, they can't fight back as, as well as they might have been able to. And then the other brothers, they decide they're going into town, and they deal with everybody else, all the other males. Verses 28 and 29 of Genesis 34 says, They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and they plundered. Wow. These boys had a fighting spirit, and they were going to take care of business. Also, the ten oldest boys showed hatred for their father's son. Showed hatred for their father's son. Back to Genesis 37, verse 4 says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And I'm guessing that this didn't happen overnight, and there must have been several things that happened, not just uh, the coat of many colors. Daddy loved his boy. But it says that they hated him, and they couldn't even speak words that were kind. That, that's, a, that's tough. And you know, some of us have that too. Maybe we have an, an older brother or, or a family member, someone we really just cannot stand. And we won't bring it to ourselves to go talk to them. We won't try to deal with the situation. We probably just go talk to somebody else. You know, I, I also thought maybe somebody in your life, and I bet you've seen this before, somebody's got a received great blessing. Whether maybe it was financial. Maybe, maybe they got a whole bunch of stuff given to them by somebody, or maybe they did really well in their job, and you just looked at them with, like, disgust. They must have got that through, through uh, bad ways, through fake ways. Oh, it's unbelievable what they have. And you start actually accusing them of wrongdoings. Scripture takes it up a notch in verse 8. Right after Joseph tells his brothers about the first dream, it says, so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So their hatred is actually increasing, Scripture's telling us. You just hate them more and more. And this is what happens to hatred. If it isn't dealt with, if it isn't gone after right at the, at the base of it, it actually starts bubbling up and, and getting so huge it's hard to deal with. I think of when you're annoyed at somebody. Maybe somebody is chewing next to you. And it's just super annoying how they're chewing and they're chomping. Everything they do at that moment is annoying. They could scratch the side of their head and all of a sudden that's annoying. 
and the way they're wearing their, their shirt is annoying, and they smell annoying. It, it, it just keeps happening because we're not dealing with what, what the real situation is. We're just annoyed. In fact, it moves from hatred, and it adds jealousy. It adds jealousy to the situation. Verse 11 says, And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept, saying, kept the saying in mind. So after they heard the second dream, they, they watched their dad's response. And they watched to see, is daddy going to be mad? Is he going to discipline him? Is he going to actually uh, tell him to apologize to us? And he doesn't. And they become jealous. It's natural. As they're probably getting more jealous with their interaction, they keep seeing Joseph be a leader. And I have to think, as I look at Joseph's life, that he probably was an unbelievable leader, leader even in his own family. So it was natural for his dad to do that. And if the jealousy's unchecked, if it's unchecked and combined with hatred, it will eventually lead to a very bad situation for the entire family. And it does. We're going to see that in the next, next few messages. This is not going to be a good situation. So you're going to have to come back next week to hear it. So let's conclude. Let's conclude our time by talking about the whole purpose of this sermon series. The entire purpose of the sermon series it has to do with the preservation of one of Jacob's sons. Who's that son? Not Joseph. Judah. Son number four. This entire sermon series says Joseph. It's all about Judah. We're going to skip a dozen chapters in Genesis and go to Genesis 49. Starting with verse 8. Here it says, 49, verse 8, Judah. This is, this is Jacob on his dying bed. And he calls one son at a time, and he gives them a blessing. And he comes to child number four. He puts his hand on his head. This is my guess. I don't know if his hand's on his head. And he gives him a blessing. And this is what he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. You see, Joseph's not the only brother that has brothers who are bowing down before him. Judah. Judah will also have his brothers bowing down before him and praising him. Verse 9 of 49. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? We jump all the way to the end of the Bible. Revelation 5, 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. I mean, literally, it almost brings me to tears to think about how awesome this is. Verse 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. We're back in Genesis 49. 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. The scepter signifies the king. Judah, Judah will have the line of all the kings. King, king Solomon, King David, Rehoboam, Abiah, and so on. They all come from the line of Judah. Genesis 49, 10. We've talked about it. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes to him. And then get this. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Of the peoples. Not of Israel, which was the nation. But he says, of the peoples. Through the blessing of Jacob, Judah's offspring would rule over the people of Israel, but their final ruler, their final king, their final king of kings was the Lord of lords. The entire series of Joseph. It's going to give us a tremendous picture of the life and the obedience of Joseph, no doubt. I love Joseph. I love his, the character within Scripture that we can learn from it. But the entire purpose is that God uses the life of Joseph to protect the child Judah so that the line of Jesus would not be extinguished through drought. Absolutely amazing. We serve an awesome, awesome, awesome God. So today we're going to serve him through communion. And what greater way to rejoice and in the line of Judah than to come together in communion. It's a time for us to praise the Lord and, and to be thoughtful in our willingness to forgive those that have meant harm for us. Genesis 50, 20. I think Dave even brought this up at, at our small group. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I want to remind you that our communion is open for all who call upon the Lord as their Lord and Savior. And if, if you call upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to join us. We believe that this is a sacred time, though. We really believe that this is a sacred time. For, for believers coming together and wholeheartedly and willingly bowing down to God. Bowing down 